0: Adams Archive. Hello, you beautiful people, and welcome to the Adams Archive. My name is Austin Adams, and thank you so much for listening today. On today's episode, we are going to be discussing what I would say is the single most terrifying document I've ever laid eyes on. And maybe not just that. I mean, and this says a lot because I've done a lot of deep dives into different uh, documents that have come out that were top secret, that were CIA documents, whether it was about MKUltra or Operation Northwoods. And in the MKUltra, they were literally taking people and electrocuting their brains to try to manipulate them or get rid of their memory. They were drugging people with LSD while they were with prostitutes and watching their reactions. There's so many things that they were doing that were horrifying. But the document I'm about to show you is the most terrifying, least discussed top secret document that has ever gotten into the hands of a civilian. And the reason I say that is not on the individual basis right the the documents like the mk ultra documents are terrifying because it could have been you it could have been me but the document i'm about to show you was you it was me it was everybody on this planet was affected by this document by this plan that was implemented to perfection and as i start to walk through this with you you'll realize more and more how this has been seeded deeply into the fabric of our reality regardless of what country you're in, regardless of where you went to school, how much money you think you have in the bank, every single one of us has been affected by this document. And that is what it makes it so terrifying. Okay, the document that I'm about to show you and I'm about to walk you through in this deep dive is called Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars. Now, this document was produced and found in 1986, July seventh, by somebody from the IBM who who purchased a copier. Okay, this document came from somebody who purchased a copier from the surplus sale by IBM. They reached inside of it and took this out in 1986. Now, this document was originally used at the very first known Bilderberg meeting in 1954, and adopted by the policy committee. Now, the reason that we have eyes on this today and the way that we do, the way that this document is broken down is based on the idea that the people that looked at this document were a part of a CIA small group who were chosen for reasons that we'll find out in just a moment, but it was to catch them up to speed on the worldwide conspiracy that was happening and unfolding right in front of our eyes. And has continued to and will continue to for a very long time. So, let's go ahead and read through the preface. And again, this document is called Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars. But before we do that, go ahead and subscribe. Leave a five-star review. Head over to the substack, .substack austinadams.substack.com. I'm actually going to be reviewing a document that I went through and highlighted every single piece of it that I found to be the most interesting. This is a 45-page document, so it's not a light read, but I went through and highlighted everything that I found to be of value in this document for you, and I will include this document in this week's substack that will be sent out. Okay, So you'll actually be able to look at the highlights that I found value, the annotations to them, the exact document that I'm reading from this will be in that sub stack. So austinadams.substack.com, go ahead and subscribe, leave a five-star review. And if I could ask you within this podcast episode, if you find this to be of interest, if you find the things that I'm talking about here to be held true in your life, and it shocks you just as shocked as I was, please share this episode, share it with two people, and have those people share it with two people, okay? I would appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. Just share it, send it to two people, and you go, this is wild. That's all you have to say. This is wild. Go ahead and hit that share button and send it to two people that you want to discuss this with. Because they should hear about it too. And if everybody does that, this will reach the masses, and we will start to get the word out. Because like I said, this is one of the most terrifying, least discussed, top secret documents that has ever gotten in the hands of a civilian. All right. All right. On that note, let's jump into it. The Adams Archive. All right. Let's jump into it. We're going to start with the preface here. And this is again is silent weapons for quiet wars. And we'll find out the meaning of that in just a moment. But I will tell you at certain points, this is somewhat technical in the way that it reads. So I will do my best to read the document to you, reformat it for you in a simple way so you can understand the sentiment. Because I'm sure even just listening to it is even more tough than reading it. But I will take the analysis that I've done up until this point and give you it once I read through it. So if it sounds a little bit technical, stay with me because I will give you my simplistic version of what it actually means right after, okay? So here is the preface of this document. Conspiracy theories are nothing new to history. Plots to kill Caesar and overthrow Rome abounded, for instance. However, it is seldom that concrete clues to such plots come to light and are generally known. Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars, an introduction programming manual, was uncovered quite by accident on July 7, 1986, when an employee of Boeing Aircraft Co. purchased a surplus IBM copier for scrap parts at a sale and discovered inside details of a plan hatched in the embryonic days of the Cold War, which called for control of the masses through manipulation of industry, people's pastimes, education, and political leanings. It called for a quiet revolution, putting brother against brother and diverting the public's attention from what is really going on. The document you are about to read is real. It is reprinted in its virgin form with diagrams as a touch of reality. Now, where I found this document, you guys, was a dark corner of a dark corner of a dark corner of the internet, (laughs) to say the least, okay? Now, there has been many, many conversations in other dark corners of the internet about this document, but it has not gone into the mainstream psyche. This has not been a topic of conversation to the extent that it should be because this document lays out all of it, and we talked about it in the last episode. How Yuval Harari, a World Economic Forum advisor, also the author of *Sapiens*, the book, the worldwide phenomenon, nonfiction book, historical uh, book *Sapiens*, came out and said, "How ridiculous is it that there's a glo- people think there's a small group of people who control everybody?" Hmm. Well, we're about to find out just how ridiculous that is. It's very systematic. Okay. So, where I found this document was very, uh, I would say, so, so where I found this document had a list of other documents that were around it. So, I kind of had to sift through it. But there's the, the, way that this is so meticulously because some people you know will try to give illegitimacy to this document but it's 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 been uh it's been said to be true by people who have seen so many top secret government documents this outlines who it was approved or, or thought to be true by and everything that we talk about here even if this document wasn't written up by the CIA which again if you read it it very clearly I believe that to be the case. Um, well, not, not even the CIA, but the, the heads of these Bilderberg groups, and then reformatted into the CIA so that they could catch them up to speed on this conspiracy, it outlines everything perfectly. It's, it's all about social engineering of the masses. So it says, In it, it is patently impossible to discuss social engineering or the automation of society, the engineering of social automation systems i.e. silent weapons, on a national or worldwide scale without implying extensive objectives of social control and destruction of human life, i.e. slavery and genocide. This manual is in itself an analog declaration of intent. Such a writing must be secured from public scrutiny. Otherwise, it might be recognized as a technically formal declaration of domestic war. Furthermore, wherever any person or group or persons in a position of great power and without full knowledge and consent of the public uses such knowledge and methodologies for economic conquest, it must be understood that a state of domestic warfare exists between said person or group of persons in the public. The solution of today's problems require an approach which is ruthlessly, ruth, ruthlessly candid with no agonizing over religious, moral, or cultural values. Now, here's the part where it talks about how they qualified for this project. You have qualified for this project because of your ability to look at human society with cold objectivity, and yet analyze and discuss your observations and conclusions with others of similar intellectual capacity without the loss of of discretion or humility. Now, I'm actually going to go ahead and share my screen with you guys so you can see what I am looking at while I'm walking you through this. Uh, So here you go. Um, It is actually up there. So if you're not following on the video, if you're just listening on the podcast, you can head over to YouTube. You can head over to Rumble. If you go to the Substack, it'll be embedded on there for you as well. So you'll be able to actually look through the document when I'm looking at it and talking you through it. So it is up on the screen now. This goes on to say... uh, Uh, of similar intellectual capacity without the loss of discretion or humility. Such virtues are exercised in your own best interest. Do not deviate from them. In other words, this document should scare the shit out of you, but you are a psychopath, so it doesn't. Continue being a psychopath, and that is why we have chosen you for this position. Uh, Historical introduction, this says. Silent weapon technology was evolved from operations research, a strategic and tactical methodology developed under the military management in England during World War II. The original purpose of operations research was to study the strategic and tactical problems of air and land defense with the objective of effective use of limited military resources against foreign enemies. It was soon recognized by those in positions of power that the same methods might be useful for totally controlling a society, but better tools were necessary. So when they found this out in let's say 1943, 1942, uh, they did not have the technology to implement the theories that were laid out during this findings of operations research, right? So operations research was how can we infiltrate and degrade a country without having to go in there with tanks? How, where can we get these silent weapons? And we see this played across our society today, whether it's through social engineering of social media, which is obviously one of the most complex things of this, the algorithms, Google searches, all of those things are now a part of this social engineering. Censorship, right? All of those things. But back then, they didn't even have the computer yet. So they couldn't even, if they had the data sets that they needed to analyze, which we'll find out what they were analyzing it for in just a minute, they wouldn't have had a way to calculate it in in enough time. So they needed further technology is what I was talking about, but better tools were necessary, it said. Social engineering, the analysis and automation of a society, requires the correlation of great amounts of constantly changing economic information or data. So a high-speed computerized data processing system was necessary which could race ahead of the society and predict when society would arrive at capitulation. Relay computers were slow but the electronic computer invented in 1946 by J. Presper Eckert and John W. Macaulay filled the bill. The next breakthrough was the development of the simplex method of linear programming in 1947 by the mathematician George B. Danzig. Then in 1948, the transistor invented by J. Bardeen, W. H. Britton, and W. Shockley promised great expansion of the computer field by reducing space and power requirements. Now, with these three inventions under their direction, those in positions of power strongly suspected that it was possible for them to control the whole world with the push of a button, is what this document says. Now, immediately once this was found out, so they started to formulate this economic theory of data and how they could predict both how people would act for economic gain and for power gains. But they couldn't have the technology yet to allow them to analyze the data, even if they had it. As soon as they had the technology, in 1948 with the transistor, the Rockefeller Foundation got in at the ground floor. They did this by making a four-year grant to Harvard College, funding the Harvard Economic Research Project for the study of the structure of the American economy. One year later, in 1949, the United States Air Force actually joined in on this. In 1952, the grand period terminated, and a high-level meeting of the elite was held to determine the next phase of social operations research. The Harvard project had begun very fruitful, or had been very fruitful, as is born out of the publication of some of its results in 1953, suggesting the feasibility of economic and social engineering. So this is where it leaves that paper trail, right? We know that this happened. We know the grants were funded by the Rothschild family. We know the time frame. We know the, the, the reasoning that they were doing this. Engineered in the last half of the decade in the 40s, the new quiet war machine stood, so to speak, in sparkling gold-plated hardware on the showroom floor by 1954. With the creation of the Maser, In 1954, the promise of unlocking unlimited resources of fusion atomic energy from the heavy hydrogen in seawater and the consequent availability of unlimited social power was a possibility only decades later. The combination was irresistible. So what they're talking about here is that energy was the new gold. So by unlocking these scientific endeavors, we're going to learn about what science truly is for in just a second when they lay it out for us, but by learning and unlocking these codes to the universe, they could also unlock massive amounts of power, massive amounts of capital. So although the silent weapon system was nearly exposed 13 years later, the evolution of the new weapon system has never suffered any major setbacks. Political introduction. In 1954, it was well recognized by those in positions of authority that it was only a matter of time, only a few decades, before the general public would be able to grasp and upset the cradle of power. For the very elements of the new silent weapon technology were as accessible for a public utopia as they were for providing a private utopia, meaning that if the general public had gotten a hold of this technology and used it for good and used it for the betterment of society, it would have allowed us to thrive as, as a species. It would have allowed us to have a public utopia where everybody gained from it. But instead, a small group, a small boardroom meeting with the Bilderberg Group, i.e. what you know we know today as something like the World Economic Forum, and they still have these Bilderberg Group meetings, allowed for a private utopia for a small group of individuals. Energy is recognized as the key to all activity on Earth. Natural science is the study of sources and controls of natural energy. And social science, theoretically, expressed as economics, is the study of the sources and control of social energy. So this is where they're kind of taking this formula, this idea of energy and, and reformatting it, repositioning this theory of energy into what they allow, what they learn to manipulate, right? They learn to manipulate energy first, then they reformate that, reformulate that into understanding how to manipulate people because people are just energy, they're saying, right? Uh, energy is recognized as the key to all activity, activity on earth, social science theoretically expresses economics, right? Saying that the way that people's energy, the movement of people, the thoughts of people exposes itself through economics by where they spend their money, where they spend their time, and how they react to things, right? So that is the study of the sources and control of social energy. Both are bookkeeping systems. Mathematics. Therefore, mathematics is the primary energy science, and the bookkeeper can be king if the public can be kept ignorant of the methodology of the bookkeeping. All science is a means to an end. The means is knowledge. The end is control. Beyond this remains only one issue. Who is the beneficiary? And that's why the Rothschilds realized this. And they quickly sprung into action as soon as they saw the technology present itself so that they could be the ones who were the beneficiary of the knowledge. The knowledge leading to control, and that is why we are where we are today. In 1954, this was the issue of the primary concern, although the so-called moral issue was raised in the view of the law of natural selection. It was agreed that that a nation or world of people who will not use their intelligence are no better than animals who do not have intelligence at all. Such people are beasts of burden and stakes on the table by choice and consent. Did you hear that? Do you hear the way that they talk about you and I? People who will not use their intelligence are no better than animals who do not have intelligence. Such people are beasts of burden and stakes on the table by choice and consent, they said. Consequently, as the interest of future world order, peace, and tranquility, it was decided to privately wage a quiet war against the American public with the ultimate objective of permanently shifting the natural and social energy, wealth, of the undisciplined and irresponsible many into the hands of the self-disciplined, responsible, and worthy few. So they rigged the system. In order to implement this objective, it was necessary to create secure, to create secure and apply new weapons, which, as it turned out, were a class of weapons so subtle and so sophisticated in their principle of operation and public appearance as to earn for themselves the name "silent weapons." In conclusion, the objective of economic research is conducted by the magnets of capital or banking. In the industries of commodities or goods and services is the establishment of an economy which is totally predictable and manipulatable. So what they start to lay out here for you is that in order, well, let's just read this, it says in order to achieve a totally predictable economy, the low class elements of society must be brought under total control, right? In order for them to be able to profit both economically and and power-based off of this predictable economy. They need to make it predictable. And to make it predictable, you have to fall in line to the programming. You must be housebroken, it says, trained and assigned a yoke and long-term social duties from a very early age before they even have an opportunity to question the propriety of the matter. Right, you want to talk about four- and five-year-olds going to have a full-time job in kindergarten. Going to school to wait for a bell to tell them when to go do the next thing, being put in a position of submission to somebody in a position of dominance, being told everything that they have to do, when they have to do it, how to draw their how to draw something, how to dot their eyes, how to, you know, all of it. So you have to entice conformity from the very beginning. And the Rockefellers also funded the general education board in the 1920s. The General Education Board, which we're going to get into in one of our next deep dives, was taking the Prussian model, which leveraged education as a system of creating obedience instead of intelligence in the 1920s to make it so that this system of education, education through enslavement of thought, was implemented nationwide and thus started The programming of the general public, which allowed you and I to behave predictably, just like they wanted, so we can be housebroken, trained, and assigned a yoke and long-term social duties from an early age, making everything predictable, making the general mass public move as a flock. In order to achieve conformity, it says, the lower class family unit must be disintegrated by a process of increasing preoccupation of the parents and the establishment of government-operated daycare centers for the occupationally orphaned children. That's a terrifying way of putting it that is dead accurate. In order to achieve such conformity, the lower-class family unit must be disintegrated by a process of increasing preoccupation of the parents and the establishment of government-operated daycare centers for the occupationally orphaned children. The quality of education given to the lower class must be of the poorest sort so that the moat of ignorance isolating the inferior class from the superior class is and remains incomprehensible to the inferior class. With such an initial handicap, even the bright lower class individuals have little, if any, hope of extricating themselves from their assigned lot in life. This form of slavery is essential to maintain some measure of social order, peace, and tranquility for the ruling upper class. Are you terrified yet? Does this sound, does this ring true to you? This is exactly the playbook that has set up a society for obedience, for social credit scores, for digital currency for censorship. Exactly. And the the United States of America was the proving grounds of this. Description or descriptive introduction of the silent weapon, it says. So now it explains how they're going to do it. Everything that is expected from an ordinary weapon is expected from a silent weapon by its creators, but only in its manner of functioning. It shoots situations, instead of bullets, propelled by data processing, instead of chemical reactions, originating from bits of data, instead of grains of gunpowder, from a computer, instead of a gun, operated by a computer programmer, instead of a marksman, under the orders of a banking magnet, instead of a military general. It makes no obvious explosive noises, causes no obvious physical or mental injuries, and does not obviously interfere with anyone's daily social life. Yet it makes an unmistakable noise, causes unmistakable physical and mental damage, and unmistakably interferes with the daily social life, i.e. unmistakable to a trained observer, one who knows what to look for. The public cannot comprehend this weapon, and therefore cannot believe that they are being attacked and subdued by a weapon. The public might instinctively feel that something is wrong, but that is because of the technical nature of the silent weapon, they cannot express their feeling in a rational way or handle the problem with intelligence. Therefore, they do not know how to cry for help and do not know how to associate with others to defend themselves against it. When a silent weapon is applied, gradually the public adjusts and adapts to its presence and learns to tolerate its encroachment on their lives until the pressure becomes too great and they crack up. Therefore, the silent weapon is a type of biological warfare. It attacks the vitality, options, and mobility of the individuals of a society by knowing, understanding, manipulating, and attacking their sources of natural and social energy and their physical, mental, and emotional strengths and weaknesses. Wow. So the silent weapon is a biological warfare. It attacks the vitality, options, and mobility of the individuals of society by knowing, understanding, manipulating, and attacking their sources of natural and social energy and their physical, mental, and emotional strengths and weaknesses. Right? You want to talk about big pharma. Right? You want to talk about the introduction of allopathic medicine by the Rothschilds. Right? Basically, eliminating osteopathic and homeopathic medicine again, right around the same time, right, in the, the early 1900s. That's why the, the World War II was the precipice of change. The industrialization of our nation was really the enslavement of our nation. That's when you had the education system uh, turn into what it is today with bells ringing, telling your children where to go and how to act. That's when you had allopathic medicine telling you that your body has nothing to do with its own state of health. That's when you had the introduction of industrialized food, which poisoned you instead of nourished you. That's when you had the introduction of the military-industrial complex, which served to empower the banking elites with profitability at the detriment of your son's lives. All of this was pre-planned and written out in this document called Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars. Ensuring predictability through our actions by enslaving our minds first, by poisoning us through our food, poisoning us through our entertainment, poisoning us through the indoctrination of the education system. All of this, all of this wove the fabric for what we know as modern society today. And we're reading the playbook. Now, here's an interesting quote. By one of the Rothschilds themselves, Meyer Amschel Rothschilds, 1943 to 1812, and said, Give me control over a nation's currency, and I care not who makes its laws. Meyer Amschel Rothschilds. When you control the money, you already control the politicians. And when you control the politicians, you control the law, and you, in turn, control the people. Today's silent weapons technology is an outgrowth of a simple idea discovered, succinctly expressed, and effectively applied by the quoted Mr. Meyer Amschel Rothschilds. Mr. Rothschilds discovered the missing passive component of economic theory known as economic inductance. He, of course, did not think of this discovery in these 20th century terms, and to be sure, mathematical analysis had to wait for the second industrial revolution, the rise of the theory of mechanics and electronics, and finally, the invention of the electronic computer before, before it could be effectively applied in the control of the world economy. So this part is where it gets a little technical, okay? Everything up in here was like theory of societal engineering, right? Now we're getting into the idea of how energy and, and the, the energy of the world actually works side by side with the energy of people. And by learning to manipulate one gives you the theory of how to manipulate the other. Okay, so this starts to break it down. It breaks it down technically for you. And again, I will give you my reframe of this uh, so as to allow you to actually understand what I'm talking about without scouring this document back and forth and back and forth. Uh, So this is what it lays it out. It says general energy concepts. In the study of energy systems, there always appears to be three elementary concepts. These are potential energy, kinetic energy, and energy dissipation. In corresponding to these concepts, there are three idealized, essentially pure physical counterparts called passive components. In the science of physical mechanics, the phenomenon of potential energy is associated with a physical property called elasticity or stiffness and can be represented by a stretching spring. In electronic science, potential energy is stored in a capacitor instead of a spring. This property is called Capacitance instead of elasticity or stiffness, right? Think of a rubber band. Now, it goes on to say that in the science of physical mechanics, which is the second part of this, the phenomenon of kinetic energy is associated with a physical property called inertia or mass and can be represented by a mass or a flywheel in motion. In electronic science, kinetic energy is stored in an inductor, in a magnetic field instead of a mass, this property called inductance instead of inertia. All right, so bear with me here, because then in just a second, it takes all three of these concepts and formulates it for societal engineering. It says, in the science of physical mechanics, the phenomenon of energy dissipation is associated with a physical property called friction or resistance, and can be represented by a dash pot or a device which converts energy into heat. In electronic science, dissipation of energy is performed by an element called either a resistor or a conductor. The term resistor being the one generally used to describe a more ideal device, like a wire employed to convey electronic energy efficiently from one location to another. The property of a resistance or a conductor is measured as either resistance or conductance reciprocals. All right, now it says in economics, this is where it takes that idea of energy dissipation, of conductance and capacitance, right, the capacity, and reformulates it into currency, right, into how people react to things, okay? So it talks about capital is... Capacitance, right? That's money, stock, inventory, investments in buildings and durables, right? So the the capacity, the capacitance is capital. The conductance, right? The flow of the energy is goods, right? That's where the exchange happens. And then the inductance, right? The influence of the population of industry on output is services. So the capacitance is capital, right? That's the money. The conductance, what, where it flows from, is goods, right? And then the dissipation or the inductance is services. All of the math- mathematical theory developed in the study of one energy system, right, mechanics or electronics, can immediately be applied in the study of any other energy systems, including economics. So what Mr. Rothschilds had discovered was that the basic principle of power, influence, and control over people as applied to economics in that that principle is when you assume the appearance of power, people soon give it to you. So let me reread that for you. What Mr. Rothschilds had discovered was the basic principle of power, influence, and control over people as applied to economics. That principle is when you assume the appearance of power people soon give it to you now when we start to get into this this is where fractional banking came from was this idea right the and, and now what we know is you know zero reserve banking but is supposed to be what fractional reserve banking was i think until 2021 or 22 when they changed it to zero reserve banking which is far worse right so this is where the the creation of the federal reserve comes from is this idea So Mr. Mr. Rothschilds had discovered that currency or deposit loan accounts had the required appearance of power that could be used to induce people, right, the inductance with people corresponding to a magnetic field, it says, into surrendering their real wealth in exchange for a promise of greater wealth, right, an instance of compensate, of real Instead of real compensation, right? So instead of giving you gold for your services, I'm gonna give you an IOU, this piece of paper that we printed out of a machine that says, you know, we gotcha. Right? All you have to do is agree with somebody else that we got you and we got them, and you guys exchange that gotcha. And you know, now you're now you're, you know, exchanging currency. So they would put real collateral in exchange for a loan of promissory notes. Mr. Rothschilds found that he could issue more notes than he had backing for fractional banking, so long as he had someone's stock of had someone's stock of gold as a persuader to show his customers. So picture him with a big bank behind him, or a, a big, uh, you know. Um, Box of gold, a big you know vault of gold, and in that vault of gold, he had a million, a million dollars worth of you know dollars. He had a million dollars worth of gold, and in exchange of that million dollars, he handed out ten million dollars to other people, saying, "You know, I got this million right behind me. You don't have to worry about it. If you come back to me for your five hundred thousand, I'll give you the five hundred thousand. Of course, I got it. Look behind me, right? But little did they know that." He doesn't have 10 million, which is what he loaned out, so he now owes more than he has in possession. So if any one time everybody comes to get it at the same time, none of it really exists. Right? Fractional banking. Mr. Rothschilds loaned his promissory notes to individuals and to governments. These would create overconfidence. Then he would make money scarce tighten control on the system, and collect the collateral through the obligation of contracts. So let's say that you own a $500,000 house that I loaned you the money for, that you're paying me monthly on, right? Now the economy that I squeeze goes to shit and you can't afford the mortgage. Now I made you pay me $200,000 of the $500,000, but you couldn't pay the whole thing because I screwed the economy over, and now I own all of those assets again. Rinse and repeat. The cycle was then repeated. These pressures could be used to ignite a war. Then he would control the availability of currency to determine who would win the war. Right? This man with all the perceived power, with all the gold in the vault behind him, told Both sides of the war that, I got you, I got you. But then, depending on who he gave the most loans to, printed the most money for, would win the war, of course. War is just a war of attrition. Everything's a war of attrition, right? It's just who has the most money, who has the most uh, shiny metal machines that are going to blow stuff up. The government, which agreed to give him control of its economy and economic system, got his support and in turn won the war. And maybe that's what we're seeing play out right now between NATO and Russia and China and all of these things going on is we're seeing who's going to give the banking cartels the control of the economic system. And whoever does that is going to get the most money. They're going to get the most funding, right? They're going to get the most bombs. They're going to get the most tanks. And in turn, they're going to win the war. Goes on to say the collection of debts was guaranteed by economic aid to the enemy of the debtor collection of debts was guaranteed by economic aid to the enemy of the debtor. The profit derived from this economic methodology made by Mr. Rothschilds, all the more able to expand his wealth. He found that the public greed would allow currency to be printed by government order beyond the limits of backing in precious metals or the production of goods and services. And that's how we get to inflation. Right? Right. Public greed would allow currency to be printed by government order beyond the limits of backing in precious metal or the production of goods and services, right? We got off of the gold standard and immediately what happens? Inflation, inflation, go back and ask your grandparents about it, right? How much did the car cost? In this structure, right? And so a parent capital as paper inductor, right? The inductor in the structure credit presented by as a pure element called currency as the appearance of capital, but in the effect negative capital. Hence, it was the appearance of service, but is in fact indebtedness or debt. It is therefore an economic inductance instead of economic capacitance. And if balanced in no other way, will be balanced by the negation of population, right? War and genocide. The total goods and services represent real capital called the gross national product. And currency may be printed up to this level and still represent economic capacitance. But currency printed beyond this level is subtractive and represents the introduction of economic inductance and constitutes notes of indebtedness. All right, let's go ahead and let's do this because this will be interesting. If we can take this and actually get it to let's see here how I can do this. I want to see if I can carry this over and have chat GPT, write a simplistic, let's say at like a a first grade level and explain that for us. So let me go ahead and take a picture of this, copy over the text and ask it to explain it that way. Because I think that's a value. This is a little bit more uh, complex than than how we, uh, you know, having me over here try to explain it to you. So let me go ahead and, and put it in here. So I took it. Now let's go take it to ChatGPT. Please explain this at a fifth grade level. All right. So it's saying, imagine we have a system where people use something called currency as a form of credit. This currency looks like money or resources, but it's actually like negative capital because it creates debt. So it seems like a helpful service, but it actually puts people in debt, right? The currency, the money is all just credit right? There's not, there's not actually backed by anything, which all it means is that, you know, you see the national debt ticker just keeps going up and up and up. So it seems like a helpful service, but it actually puts people in debt. Instead of being like a container that holds and stores value like a piggy bank, this currency acts more like a force that causes changes in the economy, like pushing or pulling things around. When this force gets out of balance and there's too much currency, it can lead to problems. To balance this system, Something extreme like war or genocide might happen. This is because the excess currency needs to be brought back to balance. And unfortunately, throughout history, war has been one way that this has been achieved. Uh, Right. Remember, this is just an explanation of some ideas in the text. As you grow older, you'll learn more about economics and different viewpoints on these topics. Hmm. Let's see if it can try again. All right. Cool. So. Where war is therefore balancing the system by killing the true creditors, the public, which we have taught to exchange true value for inflated currency, it says. And now my screen goes away. So I think that's an interesting analogy, right? Like it's not a piggy bank. The, the money that we have is not a piggy bank. It's a, it's a, an IOU, right? And, and once there's enough IOUs out there that people hold on to, eventually you, Uh, The best way to get some of those IOUs back is by eliminating the people, apparently. (laughs) Uh, So it says that Mr. Rothschilds had discovered that the currency gave him the power to rearrange the economic structure to his own advantage, to shift economic inductance to those economic positions, which would encourage the greatest economic instability and oscillation. The final key to economic control had to wait until there was sufficient data and high-speed computing equipment to keep close watch on the economic oscillations by creating price shocking and excess paper energy credits, paper inductance, and inflation. All right, now the next part of this is talk, talking about how they test the system, right? How, how do they formulate results? Like how, how did they get the data, right? And we're going to see some of these things ring true when we think back to the time of the... Uh, thinking back to the COVID situation where we had no toilet paper for a weird amount of time or maybe a few months ago when when eggs cost $20 for freaking 12 of them, right? Th- this is a, a form of shockwave testing, which is what we're gonna learn about right now. And it starts by learning the principle of shockwave testing, again, in energy and reformulating it for how we deal with people and society and societal engineering. So it says the aviation field provided the greatest Evolution in economic engineering by the way of its mathematical theory, which is shockwave testing. In this process, what they would do is they would take something on an airplane and they would test how much force could be applied to that uh that piece of technology, right? So a projectile is fired from an airframe on the ground, and the impulse Of the recoil is monitored by vibrational transducers connected to the airframe and wired to chart recorders. Right. So it's trying to say how much energy can we put on this airframe of this aircraft until it explodes? Right. Shockwave testing. Right. How how durable is the material? And how is it going to react when we impose some type of force on it? By studying the echoes and reflections of the recoil impulse in the airframe, it is possible to discover critical vibrations in the structure of the airframe, which either vibrations of the engine or Aeolian vibrations of the wings or a combination of the two might reinforce resulting in a resonant self-destruction of the airframe in flight as an aircraft, right? So what they wanted to figure out was how much gunpowder can we put on the side of this airplane until it rips apart, right? How big are the booms that we can make until the whole thing falls apart from the standpoint of engineering? This means that the strengths and weaknesses of the structure of the airframe in terms of vibrational energy can be discovered and manipulated. Now, again, here comes the application in economics. To use this method of airframe shock testing in economic engineering, the price of commodities are shocked and the public consumer reaction is monitored. Data. The resulting echoes of the economic shock are interpreted theoretically by computers and the socioeconomic structure of the economy is thus discovered. How do people react when we do this thing? Right. We get large enough data sets Right? Why do you think data is so important when it comes to your social media? Why do you think data is so important when it comes to all of your transactions on, on your finances? Right? Why is a digital currency important? Because the more data that they can get, the more they can realize how to manipulate you. And the more they can profit, the more power that they can have by knowing exactly how you'll react to X and Y because they want to be more rich, and more powerful, they can predict how you're going to react. They can then invest in the commodities that they know are going to be having shortages early. Or when you, let's say, get rid of toilet paper, for example, maybe people run and buy bidets. Or maybe when you have a nationwide panic, people run and buy ammunition. Maybe something like that, right? So when you can predict those reactions with a large enough data set, you can then React ahead of time and profit from those reactions because now you know. Now you've shockwave tested the mass public and now you know how they're going to react when you get rid of toilet paper. Now you know how they're going to react when you threaten locking them down and shutting down all their businesses, right? And if you can boil the water up until the point to where the frog's going to jump out or revolt against you like we saw with COVID eventually, right? So they, they dialed up the heat. Just until the point where they saw us buying ammunition, just to the point where they saw people running and getting guns, just until the point where people were rioting, not rioting to the extent where they were going to overthrow the government, but when they were rioting to the point where they were, you know, breaking down in targets and stealing everything out of it, right? They don't want a complete collapse because then they lose all of their control, but they do want to dial it up because then now they know the next time that they go to do this, exactly how the public will react. Shockwave testing, okay? Now, it says that um, if this process, uh, it is by this process that partial, differential, and indifferent matrices are discovered that define the family household and make possible its evaluation as an economic industry, which is dissipative consumer structure. Then the response of the household to future shocks can be predicted and manipulated, it says, and society becomes a reg- a well-regulated animal with its reins under control of a sophisticated computer regulated social energy bookkeeping system. Eventually every individual element of the structure comes under computer control through a knowledge of personal preferences. Such knowledge guaranteed by computer association of consumer preferences, right? UPC codes zebra striped pricing codes on packages, right? They're talking about literal barcodes. Right, all that is tracking, all that is data sets. Right, Um, it says with identified cust consumers, right, identified via association with the use of credit cards and later a permanent tattooed body number, invisible under normal ambient illumination. Right, that's the uh, that's the microchip in you that that they're going to talk about. Right, that's the that's the digital credit score. Right, that's the digital uh, digital currency. Right. So maybe it's a little bit different than what they expected in 1986, but very, very close, right? Credit cards were literally designed just so they could get the data of your buying decisions. Right. That's every CVS phone number that you put in. That's uh the, the barcodes on the back of it. All of it is data. Not data for, I mean, yeah, Target uses it for their data, but data for the, the company that owns Target. Why do you think BlackRock owns all of these companies? It wants the data. It wants to predict. It wants to throttle economies. It wants to prop one up while it goes to war with Ukraine. It wants to uh, manipulate financial markets here so that you could have uh, the downfall of a country over here. Right? So it says, summary, economics is only a social extension of a natural energy system. It also has its three passive components. Because of the distribution of wealth and the lack of communication and lack of data, this field has been the last energy field for which a knowledge- of these three passive components has been developed. Since energy is the key to all activity on the face of the earth, it follows that in order to attain a monopoly of energy, raw goods, materials, and services, and to establish a world system of slave labor, it is necessary to have a first strike capability in the field of economics. In order to maintain our position, it is necessary that we have absolute first knowledge of the science of control over all economic factors. In the first experience, and engineering the world economy. In order to achieve such sovereignty, we must at least achieve this one end, that the public will not make either the logical or mathematical connection between economics and the other energy sciences, or to learn to apply such knowledge. Hmm. Right? Public versus private utopia. They wanted to hone this technology and keep it to themselves so they can meet at Bilderberg, so they can meet in the Swiss Alps at the World Economic Forum meetings and talk about how they're going to manipulate you. It is only a matter of time before the new breed of private programmer and economist will catch on to this far-reaching implications of the work begun at Harvard in 1948. The speed of which they can communicate their warning to the public will largely depend upon how effective we have been at controlling the media, subverting, education, and keeping the public distracted with matters of no real importance. All right, now here's the economic model. It says the Harvard Economic Research Project in 1948 was an extension of the World War II operations research, right? We learned about that. It was felt that with sufficient mathematical foundation and data, it would be nearly as easy to predict and control the trend of an economy as to predict and control the trajectory of a projectile. Such has proven to be the case. Moreover, the economy has been transformed into a guided missile on target. To make sure history of it all, it was discovered that an economy obeyed the same laws as electricity and that all of the mathematical theory and practical and computer know-how developed for the electronic field could be directly applied to the study of economics. The discovery was not openly declared, and its more subtle implications were and are kept closely guarded secrets. For example, that in an economic model, human life is measured in dollars. And that the electric spark generated when opening a switch connected to an active inductor is mathematically analogous to the initiation of war, right? Turn on and off the amount of dollars, right? The human life, right? That's where you get into the depopulation agenda, right? If you can expand the, 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 expand the, the people that are on this earth and then immediately contract them down to a smaller amount, the amounts of goods, Still remains the same. It's already been produced, so now it goes into a smaller and smaller group of hands, right? So that's where the depopulation agenda comes into control. That's where war comes into control. It's 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 a mechanism of of inflating and deflating the amount of money owed, getting rid of debts that are owed to the government, that the government owes to you, right? The greatest hurdle it says, which theoretical economists faced, was the accurate description of the household as an industry. This is a challenge because consumer purchases are a matter of choice which in turn is influenced by income, price, and other economic factors. This hurdle was cleared in an indirect and statistically approximate way by an application of shock testing to determine the current characteristics called current technical coefficients of a household industry. Finally, Because problems in theoretical electronics can be translated very easily into problems of theoretical electronics and the solution translated back again, it follows that only a book of language translation and concept definition needed to be written for economics. The remainder could be gotten from standard works on mathematics and electronics. This makes the publication of books on advanced economics unnecessary and greatly simplifies project security. All right, so now it goes into a bunch of diagrams. Okay. Now again, this will be on the Substack, so you can go read through those and look through them yourself. I don't find much value if you've comprehended a little bit more of what I've talked about here, but it basically talks about how the flow of economics and utilizing one industry for supply to demand um, then results in what they want, right? So, so more control, more money, more power. All right, it uses these, you know, kind of electronic models and uh, to give you a a better discussion surrounding what we talked about already. So it it just lays it all out for you, but that's a pretty consistent uh, or a pretty uh, technical way of going about this. So let's go ahead and we'll scroll past that for now. All right. There is one part that I want to point out though. It says the social welfare system. Okay. This is just a small piece of it. Uh, it says the problem with stabilizing the economic system is that there is too much demand on account of one, too much greed, and two, too much population. Right? Because it goes into how other large alternatives to war, right, as economic inductors and economic flywheels, are an open ended social welfare program or an enormous but fruitful open ended space program, right? NASA! Could you imagine that, right? An enormous open-ended space program with no end in sight, right? There's nothing, there's no real end, there's no real goal. Uh, So you can have that as one balancing mechanism. You can have war, right? Too much demand on account of too much greed. And too much population can be balanced with open-ended space programs, social, large, social, open-ended welfare programs, and war. Okay, it says the problem with stabilizing economic systems is that there is too much demand on an account of too much greed and too much population. This creates excessive economic inductance, which can only be balanced with economic capacitance, right? So true resources or value in goods and services. The social welfare the social welfare program is nothing more than an open-ended credit balance system, which creates a false capital industry to give non-productive people a roof over their heads and food in their stomachs. This can be useful, however, because the recipients become state property in return for the gift. A standing army for the elite. For who he pays, the piper picks the tune. For who he pays, the piper picks the tune. Hmm. So, this is why we see the... Democrats, the liberal, the left, right? Which this knows no left and right, but this does, this this is important, right? This is why when you have these so, social and this is why they say, right, uh, uh, find me a young man who's a Republican, I'll show you somebody without a heart. Uh, Find me an old man who's a liberal and I'll show you somebody without a brain, right? It's like wh- when you can enslave somebody by giving them a stipend, right? That's literally how they did this. This can be useful, putting a roof over their heads and food in their stomach for people who are completely unproductive because the recipients become state, property, in return for the gift, a standing army for the elite. For he who pays the piper picks the tune, right? If they give you the money, you fall in line. You do what they say. You are now docile. So I found that to be interesting. All right, so the next part of this, right, now that we've gone through the more technical aspect of the energy portions and how that social energy relates to, right, the the findings of scientific energy, uh, let's go ahead and pull up this next part. If my computer will play nice with me and it doesn't want to. All right. But I found that to be interesting, right? Even the shockwave testing, when you start to think of things in this way, when you start to think of data, right? Everybody's been talking about data, data, data. What is Facebook? Well, Facebook makes their money from data, right? Why is data so important? Well, when you have enough data, you can predict actions, right? Where are people going to spend their money? How are people going to react physically? All right, so it goes on to say that those who get hooked on the economic drug must go to the elite for the fix. In this, the method of introducing large amounts of stabilizing capacitance is by borrowing on the future credit of the world. Okay, so those who get hooked, hooked on the economic drug must go to the elite for the fix. They own the banks. They own the printing machine to give out the credit. Like, what gives you the right? You, there's no, there's nothing there. It's all a facade. It says, in this, the method of introducing large amounts of stabilizing money, right, by printing stuff, is borrowing on the future credit of the world. Inflation right? What we print today affects our children tomorrow, right? Things cost more. This is the fourth law of motion, onset, and consists of performing an action and leaving the system before the reflected reaction returns to the point of action, a delayed reaction, right? They don't have to deal with it. Your children, our great-grandchildren deal with it. The means of surviving the reaction is by changing the system before the reaction can return, by this means, politicians become more popular in their own time, and the public pays later. In fact, the measure of, med, measure of such a politician is the delay time. Right? How long does it take for everything to crumble after Joe Biden leaves? After so much money is poured into the system, after it's printed to send to Ukraine? The same thing is achieved by a government, by printing money beyond the limit of the gross national product in the economic process called inflation. This puts a large quantity of money into the hands of the public and maintains a balance against their greed, creates a false self confidence in them, and for a while stays the wolf from the door. They must eventually resort to war to balance out the account because war ultimately is merely the act of destroying the creditor, right? The people, killing off people. And the politicians are the publicly hired hitmen that justify the act to keep the responsibility and blood off the public conscience. So just by printing money, eventually it's literally taking life. If the people really cared about their fellow man, it says, they would control their appetites, their greed, their procreation, so that they would not have to operate on a credit or welfare social system, which steals from the worker to satisfy the bum. Since most of the general public will not exercise restraint, there are only two alternatives to reduce the economic inductance of the system. One, let the populace bludgeon each other to death in war, which will only result in the total destruction of the living earth. Number two, take control of the world by the use of economic silent weapons in a form of quiet warfare and reduce the economic inductance of the world to a safe level by a process of benevolent slavery and genocide. Print, fight. Print, fight. Print, fight. The balancing act. Right, eventually, somebody has to pay for that. Getting rid of the creditor, getting rid of the people that are owed the money, eliminating the population. The latter option has been taken as the obviously better option, it says. At this point, it should be crystal clear to the reader why absolute secrecy about the silent weapons is necessary. The general public refuses to improve its own mentality and its faith in the fellow man. It has become a herd of proliferating barbarians, and so to speak, a blight upon the face of the earth. They do not care enough about economic science to learn why they have not been able to avoid war despite religious morality, and their religious or self-gratifying refusal to deal with earthly problems renders the solution of the worldly problem unreachable to them. It is left to those few who are truly willing to think and survive as the fittest to survive. To solve the problem for themselves as the few who really care. Otherwise, exposure of the silent weapon would destroy our only hope of preserving the seed of the future true humanity. Hmm. So that's where you get the idea on this sociopathic idea that there should be a ruling class, that there should be slaves, that there should be peasants, that there should be bums, because... You don't know any better, and you're too stupid and too lazy, and not enough—you don't have enough self-awareness, and you don't have enough intellect to, to to actually grasp what's going on in these financial systems. And and instead, we're just going to send you off to war to die, so we can pay off the bets, so that we the debts that we owe, so that you know, we can drive our Ferraris to Davos and meet once a year to talk about how we're going to further our enslavement of you through our children. All right, it goes on to show some more of those examples, uh, showing the diagrams of how the stages of schematic simplification, right? Where is war play into this? So it, it has mathematical equations, which are beyond my scope of understanding, uh, but talks about the final bill of goods. It says the final bill of goods is called the final bill of goods or the bill of final demand and is zero. When the system can be closed by the evaluation of the technical coefficients of the non-productive industries, governments, and households. Households may be regarded as a productive industry with labor as its output product. Interesting. So that's how they look at you, huh? It says the household industry. The household, the industries of finance... Manufacturing and government, real counterparts of the pure industries of capital, goods, and services, are easily defined because they are generally logically structured. Because of this, their processes can be described mathematically and their technical coefficients can be easily deduced. This, however, is not the case with the service industry, known as the household industry. Household models. When their industry flow diagram is represented by a two-block system of households on the right and all other industries on the left, the following results. So there's another diagram. It says the arrows to the left. Yeah, you'll have to kind of read through this so you actually get an idea of what it's talking about. Let's see, it says applied to economics. This means that all the. The households in one region or in the whole nation are studied as a group or class rather than individually, and the mass behavior rather than the individual behavior is used to discover useful estimates of the technical coefficients governing the economic structure of the hypothetical single household industry. Right? So, taking a a general average allows them to say, you know, even if 30% of the country isn't going to get vaccinated, we're betting on the 70%. Right? We know 70% compliance is enough to get us to where we need to go the next time around that we do this. It says, one method of evaluating the technical coefficients of the household industry depends upon shocking the prices of a commodity and noting the changes in the sales of all of of the commodities, right? So when we get rid of toilet paper, how does that affect the general economy? Where do people start to put their money? Where Where does that panic lead us? It's so easy to make us panic, which is exactly all that was, was a shockwave test. Getting rid of toilet paper to see how people would react. So then next time, how easily is it to predict your reactions, and profit from it, right? In the shock testing of an aircraft frame, the recoil impulse of a firing gun is mounted to the airframe, causing shockwaves, right? We talked about this. It says they tell the aviation engineers the conditions under which some parts of the airplane or the whole airplane or its wings will start to vibrate or flutter like a guitar string, a flute reed, or a tuning fork and disintegrate or fall apart in flight. Economic engineers achieve the same result by studying the behavior of the economy and the consumer public by carefully selecting a staple commodity such as beef, coffee, gasoline, eggs, toilet paper maybe, or sugar, and then causing a sudden change or shock in its price or availability, thus kicking everybody's budget and buying habits out of shape. They then observe the shockwaves, which result by monitoring the changes in the advertising, prices, and sales of that and other commodities. The objective of such studies is to acquire the know-how to set the public economy into a predictable state of motion or change, even a controlled self-destructive state of motion, which will convince the public that a certain expert of people should take care of the money system and reestablish security rather than liberty and justice for all. When the subject citizens are rendered unable to control their financial affairs, they of course become totally enslaved, a source of cheap labor. Not only the prices of commodities, but also the availability of labor can be used as the means of shock testing. Labor strikes deliver excellent test shock results to an economy, especially in the critical service areas as trucking or transportation. You want to talk about the f- transportation industry during COVID, communication, communication, Public utilities as energy, water, garbage collection, etc. We have seen this playbook play out and it was written in the 50s. It is exactly the playbook that was used during COVID. By shock testing, it is found that there is a direct relationship between the availability of money flowing in an economy and the real psychological outlook and response of masses of people dependent on that availability. Right? What do people do when they don't have toilet paper, when you can't wipe your ass? What type of social response does that cause? Do people start abusing their spouse more? Right? Maybe it's not correlation alone. Maybe it's causation. For example, there is a measurable quantitative relationship between the price of gasoline and the probability that a person would experience a headache, feel a need to watch a violent movie, smoke a cigarette or go to a tavern for a mug of beer. Didn't even get into gas prices, did we? Getting up to $5, $6 a gallon, $7 a gallon. Another shock test. It is most interesting that by observing and measuring the economic models by which the public tries to run from their problems and escape from reality, and by applying the mathematical theory of operations research, it is possible to program computers to predict the most probable combination of created events which will bring about a complete control and subjugation of the public through a subversion of the public economy by shaking the plum tree. Hmm. Right now, it starts to go into the mathematical equations for shock testing the economy and lays it out in mathematical terms for you. So if you're mathematically inclined, feel free to read through it. But it says that this is the result into which we substitute to get the set of conditions of prices of commodities, bad news on TV, which will deliver a collapse of public morale ripe for takeover. Once the economic price and sales coefficients are determined, they may be translated into the technical supply and demand coefficients. Shock testing of a given commodity is then repeated to get the time rate of change of these technical coefficients. Okay, now it's going to go into a new topic. And this topic is introduction of economic amplifiers. All right, so when we do this, what do we need to study, right? What are the habits? How do people cope, right? How do they use their money? How, how does their politics change, right? What happens during an election cycle, right? If we do this, what can we get out of it, right? Input and output, All right, but we are going to save that for the next episode. All right, this has already exceeded most episodes, so we're going to save that for next time. We'll do a part two, and we will go over the rest of this document together. If we do this, then this happens. What are the logistics, right? What does the political structure of a nation need to be? Dependency, right? What type of actions need to be taken? so on and so forth, all right? And then we go into military service. Then we go into war, right? Then we go into defining what it means to be a father and a mother and how they want you to act as a father and a mother. So make sure you stick around. Hit that subscribe button. Leave a five-star review. Head over to the Substack, .substack austinadams.substack.com. I'll see you over there and I'll see you next time on part two of Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars. Have a great night.